a sermon like this on a topic like this, I thought would be good to begin just by acknowledging who we are and what we believe here. So I want to just read a, a portion of our a statement of faith. Uh, this is something, especially those who are members, you know this well. Uh, if you're new to our church, this is helpful for you so you know what we believe and what we teach here. What I'm about to teach comes from the Word of God. That is the source of our authority. And at the end of the day, that is uh, what we seek to, to uh, be faithful to in our belief and our practice. This is what we say in our statement of faith. God created marriage to be exclusively the union of one man and one woman. God also created sex. And he commands that all sexual activity is to occur exclusively within the union or the covenant bond of marriage. And that is between one man and one woman. All other forms of sexual activity are immoral, sinful, and offensive to God. In his grace, listen close, in his grace, God lovingly, offers redemption and restoration to all who confess and forsake their sins, seeking his mercy and forgiveness through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, it's important, every word counts in there. It's important to see the fullness of that. The truth is good. God has made it clear. He calls us to believe it and to live it. And at the same time, we have a gospel. We have, a, we have good news. And, and, and the reality is, is that only sinners go to heaven. Only sinners go to heaven. Those who've been forgiven of their sins. And so the doors are wide open. Come all sinners of all shapes and kind, of all various pasts and backgrounds, any kind of sin, come and find forgiveness in Jesus Christ. I want to say that up front. That is what we stand for. That is the message we proclaim to the ends of the earth. And at the same time, we do believe that there are sins that are very, very clear, established in the Scriptures, and we believe that they are sinful and wrong and hurtful. And it's loving to hold that belief when it's true. And people hurt themselves with all kinds of sin. I also want to add that the sin of homosexuality is amidst other sins as well. We're going to see a number of lists today. And, and so we've got to be aware as a church not to, not to come down you know, on just one sin in our culture and forget the reality of heterosexual sin, which is rampant, adultery, pornography, right? And on down the line. We should be equally opposed to all sexual sin in these things. And I think we're going to see the Lord call us to that as we move through these verses. Now, this is the second part of a, a passage revealing in very specific connection the wrath of God. The wrath of God. So let's refresh our memories with what we covered last week. Let me just read chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness, suppress the truth. They push it down. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Now, the them there, that's, that's all sinners. We're not talking just Jews. We're talking to the ends of the earth. Everyone 
has been given this witness. What can be known about God is plain. It's clear. Because God has indeed shown it to everyone. How did he do it? His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So natural revelation declares who God is and his glory. And then Paul says, they are without excuse. They would mean everybody, everybody. For although they knew God, how did they respond to this revelation of God? They did not receive it. They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, the creator. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged. Key word, circle that, right? The exchange. There's three exchanges in this passage. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up. That's the first giving up, giving them up. There's three of those, three exchanges and three of God giving up in response to the exchange. Okay, so underline that God gave them up. He he released them. He gave them over to the lusts of their hearts to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged. There it is again. They exchanged the truth about God, which they clearly perceived. They know the truth about God. And they exchanged it for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. This did not begin with Darwin, but it was helped along by Darwin. And in our day, it is a whole-scale rejection of God for a lie. Hmm. That leads us to this passage. The title of my sermon is A Vile Exchange. A Vile Exchange. We're going to be covering 26 through 32 today. So let's begin with verse 26 and 27. Verses 26 and 27. Dishonorable passions. This is a build-out. As the waves of God's wrath are released upon the sinful, those waves show themselves in increasing degradation and depravity. The, The dishonorable passions now are built out by Paul in these verses. For this reason, God gave them up. That's the second time he says it. God gave them up to what? to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise, which is, so this is a synonymous behavior, a synonymous exchange. The men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Hmm. This is serious stuff. It's age old. It's not new. There's nothing new here. There's nothing progressive about this at all. This is not progressing forward. This is 
digressing back into the same old depths of the wrath of God. This is indeed, friends, divine judgment. Remember what R.C. Sproul said, I quoted it last week, sin is itself a punishment of God. This behavior, this behavior is the revelation of a wave of God's wrath that rolls across the sea of humanity. Judging, punishing. The sin is in itself His punishment and it it gathers up future wrath. It's an amazing thing to consider. It is His wrath and it deserves His wrath. It is sexual perversion, contrary to nature. Well, what does that mean? It's it's not hard to figure this out. God is the creator. He is the designer. He is the one, notice this, who made men and women. There's only two groups mentioned here. And we know that. Everybody knows that. The fabrication of all of these different genders and all of these different things is lunacy. It is complete lunacy. Everybody knows that there are men and that there are women. It's clear. Sexual perversion is not uncertain. It is a purposeful and decisive rejection of God's good design. It is a rejection of God. At its heart, at its core, it is, I will be sovereign. I do whatever I want. You can create me this way, but I will do with what you have given me whatever I please. That's at the heart of this. I'm struck by the fact that women are mentioned first here. And then the men. Now, that doesn't mean it's only chronological, but it does mean that Paul saw something noteworthy to mention first here. The women exchanged the the natural order of things. That would be a woman and a man coming together. They exchanged that, and then it's built out and clarified. Well, what does that mean? Some say, well, it's not clear. No, it's, it's clear in this passage. The men did the same. Likewise, so did the men. Homosexuality is the wrath of God poured out. And there are all kinds of gymnastics done to try to suggest that indeed it is not in the Bible that this is wrong and sinful. That this was just some kind of antiquated, archaic thinking. That is is totally false. It is clear, and everybody knows it's clear, but those who seek to suppress will work hard to rewrite, to try to excuse, to try to push down what is so clear. Consumed with passion for the same sex, committing shameless acts, right? Emboldened by sin. And experiencing in themselves, that's a fascinating word, They experience 
in themselves the consequence for their sin. The due penalty is received not only as consequence, but in the very rejection of God for this idol of self and sexual, out, sexual expression. There is toxic consequence. It's as if God is saying, how much pain do you have to endure before you realize this isn't worth it? How much heartache, how much confusion, how much loss and anger and depravity will you just shovel in to try to fill the void that is only filled by worship of the Creator? Listen to what we wrote as elders in 2012, we worked with John Denham on this to, to make a very clear position statement as elders of the church. Since Eve, female, was made from Ad, the rib of Adam, male, the two can be in true complementary fashion rejoined to create one flesh. This is the part that's obvious, right? It's God's good design. God did not make another man from Adam's rib to be rejoined to Adam in marriage relationship uh, to create the one flesh union. Um, this picture of the reunion of the two complementary parts uh, shows the sexual whole. We're coming together, right? This is the obvious part. Paul refers to homosexual activity as the sinful exchange of God's natural design for one which is contrary to nature. Sin is always a departure of God's good design and purpose. Any sexual relations that take place outside of the God-ordained covenant of marriage between one man and one woman are specifically prohibited by God. And let's just give a, a few examples here. For example, cases of adultery, Exodus 20, verse 14, Matthew 19, verse 18, Romans 13, verse 9, James 2, verse 11, or prostitution, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 15 to 18, incest, Leviticus 20, verses 11 to 21, 1 Corinthians 5, 1 and 2, and bestiality, Leviticus 18, 23, and chapter 20, 15 and 16. All of these are condemned as sin. All of them are the impulse of the natural man in his or her rejection of their creator and the consequence of his divine punishment in wrath. In God giving us up to these toxic and suicidal desires of sexuality. The example of Sodom and Gomorrah is repeatedly referred to throughout the scriptures to give us a sobering reminder of how seriously God sees sin and how he must judge sin. One of the primary sins on display in Sodom and Gomorrah was homosexuality. You, you, you can't miss that when you read through the passage. In addition to this, those in homosexual relationships cannot fulfill God's command in Genesis to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God does not merely judge all outward acts of sin. He also judges the heart, examining all motives, thoughts, and desires. 
Therefore, all sexual desire that departs from God's design falls clearly outside of his will and is sinful before him. Homosexuality is sin against God. It is also sin against other human beings, and it is sin against one's own body. You violate what God created and blessed and called good. The promotion, normalization, integration, and minority status that homosexual ideology has received by our culture is a direct offense to God, and it stands against His good design and commands. Now, that has to be said in our day. That has to be clearly clearly communicated because of the strangeness of our day and the normalcy of our culture to take what is evil and call it good and 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 love and and tolerant more on that in a minute i looked up the latest in a long line of additions to this group of letters continues to go. In fact, this is not the longest that I found, but it was so weird I didn't even try to spell it out. There's LGBTQIA plus now. How many genders are there? Well, no one really knows is the answer that is given, uh, that is given these days. No one actually really knows that. Yeah, they do. They do. In, in all seriousness, they know and they suppress. The problem that is happening in our day is that identity is being attached to sexual preference. No, no, this is who I am. It's not just what I do or what I may be inclined to do with my sin. It is who I am. So for anybody in the world to disagree with that activity or passion or sin is a personal offense. It's a very effective strategy. It is what allows this kind of madness to form itself into policy and requirements in our day. suppressing the truth that is clear, that is known, a rejection of God. Degraded minds doesn't stop there. It continues, and we see in our day how it continues. It is never happy with progress. It wants more and more and more. Look at verse 28. Degraded minds, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up, there it is again, He gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. Now listen to this list of 21 expressions of the wrath of God active in the lives of those who are given up to their sin. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, Murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, 
haters of God. There it is. We referenced that last week. Haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Look at how that made the list. Right in the middle of all these things. Kids, listen up. Disobedient to parents. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Paul could have gone on. He saw this in his day. We see this in our day. And frankly, friends, lest we be too quick to point the finger out that way, we oftentimes will see this in our own lives. We've got to be careful with this. The tone with which we engage our culture matters. Oh, it matters. Lest we come off as those somehow who are better, who are more deserving of God's grace, who somehow see ourselves as holier than thou. Oh, friends, be on your guard there. But for the grace of God, go I. Why is my heart soft when others' hearts are hard? Grace! That's the difference maker. That's the humbling effect for those who understand the gospel. It humbles us as we hold out the truth. Not in pride, not in anger, but in love. In love, we speak these things. Willful callousness and coldness of heart. The, the, the word heartless, I, I studied that out. Heartless there would be expressed in, in like a parent-child relationship where the parent would, would hate their child. Be completely indifferent when, when typically the instinct is, is to hover and mother and care for and nurture. Instead, it's a form of hatred. You take your child to a library and let somebody dressed up like a woman Read a book to them. What is that? It's heartless. Ruthless. Cold hearts. Calloused by the suppression of truth. Corrupted and irrational thinking. I am struck by how much of this we see in our day. There is wrath on display when decisions are made that are complete lunacy. And we have seen many in governmental positions make decisions like, let's lock up pastors and release predators. What are we thinking? It's that. It's wrath. And it's happening in our day. Abandoning the most basic morality. We have been blessed, friends. We have been blessed by the generations before us with a nation that had so just basic fundamental moral fiber that was tied to the Word of God and a regard for God. You can't visit D.C. and not see it just screaming from quotes and, and stones engraved. That doesn't mean that everybody was a Christian. Don't get me wrong. Right? This... 
This has always been a nation filled with sinners. But the nation that rejects the word of God is the nation that will experience increasingly waves of his wrath. And that is our nation right now. And God has placed us strategically to be a light, a beacon in the dark. Look at the list. That's a dark list, friends. We are called to be light. We are called out of the dark to be light, to, to show forth the glory of God. Not to respond to the darkness with darkness. Not to engage the darkness with anger and to drop down into the gutter and, and roll around in the mud with those that we seek to win to Christ. We take the high road. We are to hold out truth in love, tenaciously and soft-heartedly. The wrath of God and full-scale breakdown of society go hand in hand. Do a study throughout civilization and you will find that oftentimes the most powerful nations are not defeated from outside. They implode because of their sin and because of the wrath of God poured upon them. I fear for our nation because of that. But we are here to build a kingdom that cannot be shaken in whatever nation we find ourselves. That is our goal today. Defending and encouraging evil. Verse 32, I just want to finish here. This verse is a fascinating verse. It's filled with truth that will just amazingly just enlarge in your thinking when you think about what this is. Defending and encouraging evil. Paul concludes this way. Though they know God's decree or God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. Now, let's just stop there. Don't, don't read on yet. Stop there and ask yourself, they know that? They being th th they, the world, the lost, to the ends of the earth? They know that? Remember here, this is not just targeting a Jewish audience, those who had received the law of God. This is a target of all around the world. And I would say maybe with, with age of accountability in view, right? To, at, a, at a certain age, there is this knowledge, this awareness. God exists. He is the creator. Listen to what they know. Every sinner around the world at, at, at the age that God determines, and maybe it's not just a, a set age, it's probably individually so, there is a knowledge of these three things. This is what the Bible teaches. Friends, believe this. This is an amazing revelation of God. Every sinner around the world, the guy on the remote island far, far away, he knows there is a gloriously good, worthy, and powerful God who is creator. He knows that God has made known his will. And you may say, well, how, well, how does he know that? He, if he doesn't have a Bible, how does he know that God has made known his will? Well, the creation itself reveals that God's design, you hear that? His design is clear. The implication is to reject God's good design is to reject his intention with it, his will. 
So to corrupt his design is to break his will. That's what Paul is saying here. Everybody knows that a man and a woman are designed to come together as a complementary whole. One, one flesh union. That is in the covenant bonds of marriage. Now, rejecting that is to go against the will of God. And then Paul says this, and it just, it just struck me this week. To live as the enemy of God is to become worthy of death by God. Everybody knows that. Wow. That's really incredible. There is an instinct in the sinful heart as much as the suppression work is done. There is an awareness, no matter how much you push down, there is an awareness that I know that what I am doing right now goes against what God wills. And I do it anyway. And I deserve death from God for it. Hmm. People die every day. People die all the time, friends. Lest we think that death is just some thing that happens and God is just far away. No. Death is the work of God. It is judgment for sin. For the believer, it's a beautiful thing. It says in the scriptures, precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his saints. He brings us home. We don't fear death because of Christ. Our confidence is he has victory over death. We don't fear wrath. Let me be clear. I, I should have said this clearer last week. When you are in Christ, you do not face wrath from God anymore. All of the wrath has been paid in full for you on the cross. It is finished, friend. But if you are not in Christ, that wrath remains upon you. And when you die, in a sense, you can agree, I deserve this. No one dies at the hand of God in their sins and says, well, that wasn't fair. No one even on the remote island would say that. They know. They know, according to this text. Even though they know, listen to how the verse goes on. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. Now, in this context, we're talking about the waves of, of God's wrath that are poured out on a culture that is intoxicated with sinful, sexual desire. And it's expressed in in many ways, but especially in a homosexual sin pattern. Sin loves company. If there's enough people that we can get around us to join us in our sin, we can begin to feel better about this sin that we know is wrong. And so we actively work to recruit. It would be like the Titanic before leaving England, stopping in ports, all the people on the Titanic know the boat's going to hit an iceberg and sink and we're all going to die, or most of us at least, in that scenario. And so before they depart, they stop at ports of call and they all get off the ship and they recruit as many people to join as they can. Hey, come, we're all going to go die. Come with us. And when people jump aboard, they, they applaud. Yes! Welcome aboard. We're all going down. 
They give approval. The word there is, is hearty approval. It's a heartfelt approval. We were on a cruise boat, actually, come to think of it. Jenny and I went on an anniversary cruise. We were there in the, in the large meeting room for uh, one of the events that they had, and we sat in the back left corner because we knew that, you know, sometimes these things get, get, get south. They, they go south, and we wanted to be able to get out if it did. It was the dating game, and so they picked seven couples from the crowd to come up and, you know, ask some questions. And of course, what did they do? Well, they picked a gay couple, two men. And they came down front, they were standing in the middle, and they started on this end introducing the couples. One, two, three. When they got to the fourth couple, the gay couple, guess what happened? This is the cruise of mainly older people. The crowd went crazy. Applauding, cheering, whistling. Yeah! So proud of you guys. Way to go! And my wife and I were absolutely awestruck as silver hairs filled hundreds and hundreds of people cheered and applauded. That's it. Party approval. Great job. We're cheering people to their eternal death. Way to go, guys. This may be the coldest the most ruthless response. And I'll tell you what really burns me is when the church joins in and calls it love and tolerance. People will answer. You're cheering people to their own suicide. There's an entire industry that propagates immorality. It is not just a certain aspect of sexual sin called homosexual sin. It is also a lot of the other. There is a billion dollar, multi-billion dollar industry of, of people who make money producing pornography. And encouraging it in young people to their own soul suicide. They will answer. Friends, we do not love anybody by endorsing what God calls sinful, be it heterosexual sin or homosexual sin. It's hatred. Hatred of the coldest kind masquerading as love. Listen to what Isaiah says. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe. Woe. No. Don't attend the wedding 
of your friend who is gay. Don't do that. Love them enough to say, I will not applaud your suicidal behavior. I love you too much to come to that. You see what I'm saying? This is not fuzzy. Christian, love them and engage them with the truth of God. A society that openly condones and defends such evils as sexual promiscuity, homosexuality, and the rest has reached the deepest level of corruption. These acts of sin are in direct contradiction to the revealed will of God, MacArthur says. Count the cost, Christian. Take up your cross, Christian. Come what may. Stand for what is true. Stand in love. Arms outstretched. Come, sinners. Come. Be free. Find hope. Which is where we land today. Forgiveness and hope. It's the only place to land. There is a message that meets the most horrific sin the darkest place, right? The, 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 the most deep wave of the wrath of God can be met with a piercing promise. The good news of the gospel. So long as there's a heartbeat, there's hope. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth of God is not in us. If we confess our sins, listen to the promise. If we confess our sins, call them what they are. It's wrong. It's sinful. We confess that to you, Lord. He, God, is faithful and righteous or just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How does he do that? He does that by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's where all the wrath is transferred. All the wrath that I stored up from all of my sin is now sent over to Christ and it's paid in full so that I can be forgiven and washed clean, made new. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, new has come. There is hope for those who have the inclination to sin in homosexual, uh, in homosexual expression. There is hope for those who have the inclination to commit an adultery. There is hope. His name is Jesus. Now listen to this passage, 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11. Paul says this, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. Okay, see, look at the list. That's not ambiguous. It's clear nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then listen to this next line. I love this. It's one of my favorite little lines of revelation in the entire Bible. And such were some of you. Church. Such were some of you. What happened? 
the gospel. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. There's hope for every sinner. His name is Jesus Christ. Our response this morning, just a few things. Number one, embrace God's good design. Embrace God's good design. He made it clear. I mean, he made it clear. The, the world would like to say it's all difficult. It's hard to know what we're supposed to No, it's clear, friends. Embrace the design of your creator, God. Marriage is to the glory of God. It's good. He blessed it. And within the covenant bond of marriage, enjoy the sexual pleasures that God created and blessed. Number two, as you do this, flee sexual immorality in all its forms. In all its forms. This is a call to the church. To us all. We live in a sex-crazed culture. And in the midst of that, we are called to come out from them. Be pure and clean and holy. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. Once you were darkness, but now you are light. Therefore, walk as children of the light. This is a battle. This takes work and dependence. The pleasures of God far outweigh the pleasures of the world. So run there. Work together. Get a group together. Have accountability. Dig in the Word. Delight in the Lord. There's freedom and joy. Let the marriage bed be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, Christian, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Embrace God's good design. Flee sexual immorality in all its forms. Number three, trust God's word and speak the truth in love. Trust God's word. Believe God and speak his truth to a, a culture that has suppressed for so long. They're so, the, the instinct in sinners and unbelievers is so quick to suppress. Many times they don't even realize how much they're suppressing and pushing down the reality of the things that they know, but they can never escape that. And sometimes in evangelism, we realize what a starting point we have. Think of all of the things that this person already knows, even if they've been suppressing it for 20, 30, 40 years. They know it. Speak the truth in love. Don't be angry. You don't have to pound the gavel. Let the judge of the earth rule. We're commissioned to reach. And then number four, I was struck by this just this week, just sitting. This is heavy stuff, friends. Pray for God's mercy on the people of our nation who rail against God and experience the waves of his wrath. It is no way to live. It is horrible. Empty, parched. You dive after the mirage and you come up with the mouth of sand day after day after day. 
pray for his mercy, even as he rolls waves of wrath across our country. What do we need most? We need the kingdom of God, brought about by a bold Christian witness of the people of God who hold out the gospel of Jesus Christ and proclaim the word of God and then pray and trust the power of God to change and bring life. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for these words, as heavy as they are. They're so clear. So clear. We thank you that we are those by your grace who see these words and say, glory be to your name. We thank you that you have, have, have rescued us from our sinful bent to rail against you, to suppress the truth that you've revealed, to not acknowledge you, to not give thanks, but to want to be sovereign and take your place. Lord, thank you for your grace that broke us and brought us to our knees and then showed us the face of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We delight in your goodness. Oh, Father, we have a message. Thank you for the power of the gospel to save and use us this week. Help us as we stand firm, not shifting with the, the, the trends of culture or out of fear of cancellation, but standing firm in love. In love. Lord, find us faithful in the generations to come. Equip our children and our children's children to see this truth and, and see past all the mirage of a false world that suppresses and hates and rails against you. Make this church a beacon of light and truth and hope in this county until you come, O oh God, for your glory and for the joy of the nations. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.